Well, on Friday, there was the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. Thousands and thousands attended. And many were commenting in hopeful anticipation that this might be the last March for Life still under Roe. The next one might be a post-Roe march. Many anticipating a 6-3 decision in the Supreme Court regarding the Dobbs case, which would in fact overturn Roe. Of course, none of this is guaranteed. But what a moment that would be. Right? Yeah, you can clap. That's, that's, that's good. When we think about the importance of stewarding life, we see that almost 50 years after Roe, the pro-life movement is still strong. We cannot deny the reality that life matters and should be protected. It's not something that we simply let go. It's, it's decided in this court case and therefore nobody speak to it again. If that was supposed to settle it, it didn't. It's continued to be talked about, to be proclaimed. People, and Christians in particular, have been putting into practice what they believe about the value of human life. And this week, on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we want to look at the practice of pro-life. Pro-life in practice. What does this mean in the day-to-day? How do we put this to practice? And so we'll look at this in, in three general categories. Three general categories for how we put pro-life to practice. First, pro-life in our values. This is something that we've been talking about throughout this series. Pro-life in our values. We're called to steward life. And so we began this series. We're called the, the biblical... Case is for life. This is what Pastor Nate brought in the second message. We're to call to defend life. That's what Pastor Nate talked about last week. The lives of children and the lives of all image bearers of God are precious and deserve to be protected. And Christians are to be moved to action for the vulnerable. We're moved to action for the vulnerable. That's what we're called to do. That's what we see Scripture calling us to do. We, we referenced this verse already in this series, but please turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James 1, 27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit Orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is, this is James building up this case of, of what is this, this genuine faith? What does this look like? This is part of the Christian faith. Visiting orphans and widows right, meant not only going to see them, but caring for them. 
Orphan widows were the most needy in the society. And James is saying that meeting the needs and caring for the needs of those who cannot care for themselves is not an opportunity for Christians, but an obligation for Christians. This is what it is, not this is what you could do. You see, being pro-life in practice is not something simply that we might have an opportunity to do, but it's an obligation for Christians. It's an obligation. It's interesting, even in this passage as we, we read it, it's not, it's talking about caring for the societal issues, right? Orphans and widows in their affliction. In their distress, in their, in, the, in their pain, meeting them there, caring for them in the midst of it. And it also has a personal element, doesn't it? And keeping oneself unstained from the world. So it's caring for those things that are impacting those around you, and it's also taking care of yourself and how you're living in light of that. When I think of this verse and these, these dual emphasis here, I also think of a, a passage in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, if we're going to confront and care for the issues of the today, they should be biblical issues. Uh, Micah 6 eight says, The Lord requires to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the, with the Lord. The last of the phrases is the groundwork for the others. Walking humbly with the Lord, according to His Word, allows us to care for others the way that He would have us care for others. It can be easy to put God's stamp on our actions and call it caring for others. What we must do is make sure that we understand what God cares about and align our actions with His heart. And as we've seen throughout this series, care for life is something that God cares for deeply. And stewarding life is something that all people are called to do. Additionally, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, abortion is morally wrong because it is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. This is something that Pastor Nate has mentioned the past couple weeks. So we could say it like this. Opposing abortion is how we love our neighbor and care for the vulnerable in the womb. Opposing abortion is how we visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Opposing abortion is how we do justice while walking humbly with our Lord. Valuing life means opposing abortion. 
Well, these are our values. These are the things that we shape us. They also shape what we do, and they should shape what we do and how we act in this world. What we value, what we treasure, impacts the decisions that we make. Our values shape our actions, and they have implications for stewarding life. I just want to take three implications Many more that we could cover, but three implications for stewarding life and how having a pro-life understanding should cause us to, to step back and look at different scenarios and think through them in the implications they have. First, birth control. One thing we might ask is about specific forms of birth control and how they work. It's one thing if we're talking about being opposing abortion in general. And that's one thing if we're we're thinking about just this act and going to a clinic or whatever the case might be. And, of course, we're saying that's off limits. But could we subtly be giving the nod to abortion in other practices? Birth control could be one way. How is it designed to work? Is it designed to prevent fertilization or to cause an abortion? If life begins at conception, as we've taught and as I believe Psalm 51.5 implies, then anything that would purposely terminate the growth of a baby would be out of bounds. So what does this mean? It means if we value pro-life, it means it's going to impact the way that we look at this. It means avoiding the obvious methods that cause abortion. Morning after pills. Some now explicitly marketed as abortion pills. In fact, as you see this Supreme Court case uh, gaining more attraction in headline, you see the the push for pills to be mailed out more and more for more access to pills. This would be RU486, LO1, Plan B, One Step. Different pills that are designed to terminate a fertilized egg. Another would be an intrauterine device, an IUD. It's a device that allows fertilization but prevents the embryo from being implanted in the mother's womb, effectively killing the embryo. Some try to explain these methods away by claiming that half of all babies spontaneously abort anyways. But there is a categorical difference in a spontaneous abortion that happens just naturally and something that is done to make sure abortion takes place. The baby no longer continues its trajectory towards health and growth. So birth control, thinking about these things and weighing them wisely. Another that might be raised is artificial reproductive technologies. A common one today is IVF treatments. 
At first, we might not think anything of this. Isn't it simply using science to overcome something that's not working as it should, and therefore morally right? Isn't it like correcting our eyesight through LASIK, or having a medical procedure to help our knees? Unfortunately, we can miss the implications of many of these procedures or dismiss them because the personal end goal is so desirable. And scripture over and over emphasizes with the heartache of those who desire kids but are unable to have them. But that doesn't mean that the means justify or the ends justify the means. We wouldn't say that in extreme cases, for sure, right? If somebody raped someone because they wanted to be a father. Well, no, that's not a morally justifiable reason. Of course, that's an extreme example. There is a type of IVF treatment that seeks to enhance the success by selectively terminating fertilized eggs so they don't that don't have a likelihood of of chance of survival. So in other words, many eggs are fertilized and some are intentionally terminated while others are kept. There are other types of the process that don't terminate the fertilized eggs. But in those cases, it does create the ethical issue of caring for the embryos that aren't used. And you have to weigh. It's easy to commit right away when a goal is desired, but once it's achieved, you're still a steward over the unborn lives that are there. Now technology has reached the point now where there are options that you can have just one or two eggs fertilized and then immediately implanted. And all these things, we need to look at this. Are we thinking through that? Another common issue when it comes to uh, abortion is treatments and vaccines. If, if, if we weren't getting controversial already, I just mentioned the word vaccine. <clears throat> and there are some questions to think about regarding medical advancement. Does this treatment or vaccine incentivize abortion? Does the production or use of any of this contribute to, cooperate with, or promote any abortion? Much of modern medicine and even modern life uses a cell line that is produced from what is likely an elective abortion from the 1970s. That reality itself may cause hesitation. And many use this, and this came up even with uh, COVID vaccines. But we should look at other situations. We should actually look at this by take, taking a step back and what's actually taking place here. Think about it like this. If someone was killed by a drunk driver and scientists were able to clone their kidney to help kidney patients awaiting a transplant, that would not incentivize drunk driving. It also wouldn't excuse the sin of driving drunk or the responsibility of the driver. 
It would also not be morally out of place for scientists 30 years later to use a reproduced kidney to help with other diseases or treatments. That is not too unlike what scientists have done with the cell line. HEK293, that comes from human embryonic kidney. Right? So a lot of times when people say about vaccines, uh, we, we can't use them because they are complicit in abortion. Uh, it's much more like um, an organ donor that the, the organ has been cloned multiple times. And so it's, it's removed. Now, if the doctors hired somebody to run down a jogger for their organs, then that's an issue. Right? That's a morally compromised situation. That would be immoral to partake anything in that. But that's not the situation that we find ourselves in. Right? And so some raise this question, I think, that is morally permissible uh, to take uh, vaccines that use HEK-293 because it does not promote abortion. It's not dependent on abortion to continue. Right? But not all treatments are like this. Right? Some treatments take the life of frozen embryos for research. Others are dependent on fetal tissue. These are things that we should think about and investigate when it comes to treatments. Do we know what went into them? We should also be careful to be consistent in our approach. Perhaps you're not convinced of my arguments on the cell line. Some have this view. If so, it's important to be consistent. Don't just avoid vaccines because they use the cell line. Stop using makeup. Stop eating chocolate. Understand that it's used in just about everything in modern life. And if your argument is simply because it's relation to abortion and you think that's compromised then it's much more compromising to be using that in the things that you enjoy than things that could be helpful for you and others. Consistency matters. Again, you can make that argument, but make sure to be consistent in that. Now, in each of these three things, there's more going on than just the topic at hand, right? So there might be reasons for each of these to avoid them in addition to what I said. There may be additional reasons, but there's not less, right? Right. There are these things to think about, these things to consider. If stewarding life is a value, then it should factor into decisions like these and many more. If we're going to be pro-life, if we're going to care about these things, then we need to do what we can to not participate in things that necessitate 
abortion continue? It can be easy to sit in a pew and say, well, I haven't done that. And not think about how these things impact the day-to-day. I'm here with you, right? We're all wrestling through this together. We're seeking to let our values shape what we do. But even as we go through some of these things, unfortunately, the first thought might not be to safeguard in the future and to think about these things deeply ourselves. It might be more accusatory towards others in our life. We have to be careful here. It's important to be firm in what we believe. We also need to be individuals, families, a church that is saturated by grace. And saturated in grace. This too is a value. And one if that, if it's not practiced, it will undermine the stewardship of life. As Jesus says in Luke 6, be merciful as our Father is merciful. And we could fall into the trap of heaping condemnation on others and giving them pause to do the right thing. If you're taking notes, jot this down because this I'm going to leave the next slide up for a while because I want us to just look at this, this next quote. And if the streaming crew, if you want to leave this next slide up for a little bit longer than normal, uh, please, please do that as well. When I was thinking about the gracelessness that can, that can happen, that can impact this topic, I was chatting with Pastor Nate, and he, he, he showed me from Alpha's uh, resources, he said, look at this quote. And, and we just stared at the quote, and, and, and we thought, yeah, that needs to be shared. That needs to be shared. A young lady went to the Alpha Women's Center and said this, My parents told me an abortion might be a good idea so that people at church didn't think less of me. My parents told me an abortion might be a good idea so that people at church didn't think less of me. Do you realize what that means? The parents were more concerned with the shame of their church community than the shame of killing their grandchild. We might shake our heads and think, wow, how could that happen? But what would it look like if one of our young people got pregnant? Would we love her and care for her and the child? Or would we be more concerned with making sure she understands just how bad she messed up? I hope that our heart would reflect the heart of Christ for those who are repentant. And I trust it would. A heart, as we are learning in our small groups, is gentle and lowly. A heart that seeks to welcome all who come. Of course, this doesn't happen if someone 
doesn't come or if they don't care about their sin. But I pray that our posture is one of open embrace for all who fall short. The invitation into Christ's church is through His blood. And it's available for all who walk in. He guarantees entrance for all who come to Him in repentance and faith. Let's reflect this reality as a local church. There are no perfect people here. We are all in need of the grace of Christ. Be careful of trying to limit the graciousness of Christ's church by your own self-righteousness. With that said, as messed up as a graceless church is, it does not take away from the moral responsibility of someone. Don't use a legalistic church as an excuse to take the life of your baby. The quote I read, the quote that's still on the screen, my parents told me an abortion might be a good idea, so the people of the church didn't think less of me. They, they had that quote, and then there's a little caption near the bottom that this young lady had her baby, precious baby girl. And is at a church that has come alongside her, is caring for her, and is uh, in, in the process, at least when that was written, of, of uh, 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 the process of uh, getting, getting married. And they're walking through that process with her. Oh, what a precious, uh, precious uh, reminder of redemption and beauty and grace in the midst of that. And perhaps you're listening to this and, 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 and maybe somebody shared this message with you. We would share in these series. And maybe that's you and you're saying, that, well, that's the church experience. That's, that's what I know. No. That doesn't reflect the heart of Christ. Yes, all churches are messed up. But we're going to fall short. But I pray that you're part of a community. You can be part of a community that reflects the heart of Jesus. And perhaps you're listening to this message and you have a secret that no one knows about. You're too ashamed to tell your parents. You haven't been able to tell anyone. Maybe you have an abortion. Perhaps you're planning one. If you're planning one, I plead with you right now, stop. If it's because of your shame, we want to cover your shame and help you and your baby. If you had an abortion or sinned in this way, I want you to know that there's forgiveness and healing at the cross of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Your sin already testifies against you. It is not loving for me to excuse it away or sweep it under the rug. That's what culture wants to do. We'll put a little sticker on your sin and say, don't worry about it. No big deal. But you know that's not enough. You know that's not sufficient. Because the sticker doesn't last. It wears out. 
you know it's a fraud. You need someone who took on sin for you. You need someone who doesn't excuse or say your sin's not a big deal. You know it's a big deal. You need someone who says, I paid for that sin. That's my Savior. He paid for your sin. He went to the cross. He who was no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. Turn from your sin. Run to Jesus. He stands with arms wide open, ready for your embrace. He will take your sin and clothe you with his perfection. Trust in him. He stands ready to take your guilt, your shame, and your sin and offers you forgiveness, peace, and righteousness. You may think the church isn't for people like me, but here's the truth. The only people who are invited to come are sinners. We didn't have this series to heap guilt for those who have sinned a certain way, but to save others from the heartache that you've endured. Come, help us, help others steward life well. Come, rest in the grace of Jesus that is available for all who are weary and heavy laden. He will give you rest. So pro-life in our values. Pro-life in our values. Second, pro-life in our voting. Pro-life in our voting. So the first truth is that we should have values that are shaped by convictions that life matters. The second is that we should use our role as citizen and our authority as citizen to care well for our neighbor. To care well for our neighbor. We need to recognize the importance of laws against abortion to curb evil. Pastor Nate talked last week about some of the objections against abortion and a couple of them are related to laws or voting. One would be, I'm personally against, but there shouldn't be any laws Again, this would be like saying, I'm personally against drunk driving, but I think people should be able to choose for themselves whether to drive drunk. It doesn't really work, does it? No, just as we want to have laws against drunk driving, we should desire laws against abortion. Both serve to protect life, and laws against abortion are even more directly related. Another objection We want to reduce the cause, but not make laws against abortion. Again, this might be like saying that we want to support anger management seminars in order to stop murder. Or job creation to stop stealing. That doesn't mean we cannot and shouldn't support some of these things. But the question is, as Wayne Grudem clearly puts it, should it be against the law to kill your unborn child? If we say yes, then it is clearly a both-and approach. Yes, we support women and organizations that come alongside them in their need. We also want to be clear about what abortion is. We want to steward life to the best of our ability, and one way that we can do that is by having the law of the land align with the moral law of God. 
Now, this might bring up another question. Is it right for Christians to impose our beliefs on others? It's an argument that we'll hear often. Well, we've made the case, and hopefully it's been clear throughout, that the value of life cannot be determined by size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency. The one making the argument contrary to just the natural order of things is not the Christian. This can help persuade in the public square. We also need to understand what the role of government is. In Romans 13, verses 2 to 4, says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and, will res- and who resists will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So God has given the government the role to punish evil and protect good. Therefore, just laws of the land will seek to uphold what is good and punish what is wrong. Just laws are laws that lead to flourishing. Unjust laws is the government overstepping their bounds, not understanding their territory. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote about this. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, the unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in the internal and natural law. There is nothing about the ability to end your child's life at your whim that is just. Our nation's abortion laws are unjust. One of the uses of law, both God's law and national laws, is to curb evil. Therefore, it is the Christian's calling specifically and a human calling more generally to advocate for laws that align with the moral law. It's one way that we love our neighbor. Just as Martin Luther King Jr. was was right to call out the unjust laws that treated blacks in this nation as less than human. We're right to call out laws in this nation that treat the unborn as less than people. That take away their personhood. So the importance of laws against abortion... Second, to be principled and flexible. Some people choose to vote only for bills that totally eliminate abortion, seeing everything else as compromise. This is one approach. But I believe that politics in a fallen world is one of compromise and seeking the best solution at the time. I love this approach from John Frame. He says this, 
be flexible and be principled and flexible at the same time. If a bill is proposed that restricts abortion in only some cases, support it. Don't take the position that you will only support a total ban. An army takes territory an inch at a time. The important thing is to make progress. Again, good Christians can disagree on the best approach here. Some take a total approach. But it's important that we consider these things and use the ballot for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. And I think there's wisdom in the approach that John Frame's advocating here. Voting is also a way that we use our calling as a citizen to steward life. If you're with us not too long ago, we had a, a series on our work and callings. And one of our callings is as citizen. It's one of the spheres that God has placed us, one of the areas of life that God has, has given to us where we use it for God's glory and for the good of those around us. And one way that we use it for God's glory and the good of those around us is by using it to steward life. Because of the nation that we live, there's, there's a certain amount of power that's given to citizens. And we should use that power well. Not forsake it. And one is the things that we, we vote for, specific legislation, and other is by who represents us. I'll be careful not to go too far here or to bind conscience, but it, stewarding life should certainly be a contributing factor in what we look for. Voting is one way that we can give voice to the voiceless. It's one way that we can steward the role of citizen for the good of our neighbors, and we should use it well. Third, if we're going to be pro-life in our action, we're going to be pro-life in our involvement, in our involvement, in the things we're committed to, in the organizations we support, in how we give our time. Uh, first, uh, women's centers. There are many in our church family who are heavily invested in ministries that provide care for moms and babies. They educate moms on their babies, they provide what they need, and they give those who come an opportunity to earn while they learn. This equips them for success. Alpha uh, Women's Center, their mission is to meet the needs of women, children, and families in our community. We provide a variety of services with a goal to model Christ and to be his hands and feet to each client. So they have a, a variety of services. This is, this is from their, their website, provide care. And a lot of the things they do is if you're attending classes, if you're getting educated, then you can earn different things. And so it's helping those who are, who are, who are committed and they're, they're learning and growing. It's a, it's a, it's a great program. The models that were shown last week by Pastor Nate um, and that are in the large foyer, uh, those are from Alpha. And the table will be out there this week and next week as well. If abortion falls, if Roe falls, Lord willing, there will be a great need for resourcing at women's centers. We love for people to take even more advantage of them now. But if this falls, if, if 
especially if, if we're, we're doing away with Planned Parenthood, that would be a, a wonderful blessing. And having uh, Christian women's centers and other organizations to the forefront would be an amazing thing. Investing in them and making sure they are healthy and ready for a potential influx of women is an important step. And we're thankful to have people in our congregation who are serving at Women's Center. And for us as a congregation to personally support uh, Alpha Women's Center of Barry County. So we're thankful for Women's Center. It's just one way to be uh, invested and involved in pro-life and action. Another is movement. The other movements and, and, and gatherings for those that are part of the pro-life cause and they can get involved. And we've participated in 40 Days for Life movement in the past. This is just standing outside an abortion clinic and praying for the end of abortion. It's not being contra- confrontational, but simply being a presence. The last time we were there, simply praying outside for abortion to end, later in that day, a couple drove back and said to a, a member of, of, of the group, we were here earlier, and we were coming to get an abortion. But we saw people outside praying, and we decided not to. The power of a praying presence. That's one thing you can be involved in, movements. As with the women's centers, we're not trying to limit ourselves to one movement, but we're just highlighting an option or or two among many. They're each a means to agenda achieve a goal. And some people may be more personally called to one movement or mission than another. That's okay. Another way to be involved is adoption, foster, or other care. Many in this congregation have adopted or fostered. This is a great way to care for those in need. It's a way to surround kids with love and affection and model of a loving Christian home. Adoption also reflects our God who adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. As 1 John tells us, it's love that is lavished on us that we should be called his children. And there are also other opportunities to help moms in need and to care for their kids both formally and informally. Some of you, you have done that as grandparents, taking on responsibilities you didn't think you would have again for the good and well-being of your grandkids. There are many ways that Christians have stepped up to care for others in need. It's a practical way to steward life. Of course, this should be done with discernment. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Talking about specifically meeting the financial needs, but there's this responsibility as well to care for our families. So there's a a balance of seeking to do good for others while also personally caring for our own families. I bring this up because some may have more of an opportunity than others depending on life circumstances and capacity. And it also should be something, especially if it's adoption, especially if it's foster, especially if it's something that you're committing to as a family that you're together with as a family. And that you're weighing these things. 
for the good of others, but also together in that mission, if that is where God's calling you as a family. There's also additional opportunities. It's been great to hear your feedback throughout the series. We have a congregation that loves the unborn and is serving in a variety of ways already. It's like every message afterwards, people are coming up, hey, hey, did you hear about this or what about this? Some of you are bringing ideas our way. Some of you are sharing them to our uh, Facebook group, and it's so encouraging. We're even exploring other opportunities that might be helpful for us to be involved as a local church, and we'll continue to communicate those with you. Keep sharing ways that you're loving the unborn and moms in need. This is something that we do as a church as an institution in support of specific ministries like Alpha Women's Center, and it's something that's done as the church, as an organism, as each of us are sent out week after week to love our neighbors in the various opportunities God has given us. It's a both-and approach. It's both us as a local church together and it's us as individuals who are sent out. Also, if we're going to be pro-life in our involvement, we should have, be involved in much prayer. One way that each of us can be involved is through our prayers. Praying for mothers, praying for babies, praying for those serving moms and babies through various organizations. Perhaps even praying about the best way that you can be involved. Let's commit to be a church that cries out to God for the sake of the unborn. Let's pray that the next March for Life is a post-row March for Life. Let's pray for young moms who are struggling right now. Let's pray for the various ministries involved. Let's cry out to the God who loves and cares for children more than we ever could. Pro-life in action doesn't stop. It doesn't stop just because we're involved in many things, but it also doesn't stop. It continues to be in action because we're people who continue to pray to our God as we're instructed to pray without ceasing. Let's bring this to the Lord. We're going to do this imperfectly as a local church. We're going to do this imperfectly as individuals. But our God is sovereign over all things. And we can trust this in his hands. Let's pray to him and let's live this week dependent on him because we need his grace, don't we? Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the instructions that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. I thank you for the heart that you've given this congregation to care for the unborn. Be with us this week, Father. Help us to reflect you. We're dependent on your grace to do that. Be at work in and through us. For your glory and for the good of those around us, particularly the unborn. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.